Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 595 with Roger Kaplan. The desire for learning is the key to every culture. It's the key to every success story. You can't possibly be successful if you don't have an urge to learn and you're not open to learn from every single person you meet. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website gets on it. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash un stoppable you got to check out wisetail a premier learning management system wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry this has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real world feedback and rigorous testing Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Roger Kaplan. My man, Roger, are you feeling unstoppable today? I feel unstoppable every day. <laughs> yes. So a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America, Roger Kaplan has over 40 years of experience in hospitality industry as a nationally acclaimed chef, owner, operator, entrepreneur, concept developer, manufacturer, li- liaison, and consultant. Now as the founder of RK Innovations, a restaurant support and collaborative consulting company, Roger brings experience from various leadership positions, including uh, nationally acclaimed chef, the chef owner of City Grill, a VPO of Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, as a director of R&D for Boston Market, and as a restaurant entrepreneur. Man, you, your career has is so diverse, such a wide scope of experience. I, I don't know where we're going to end up today or what we're going to talk about, but I know it's going to be gold, and I'm super excited. Uh, but before we dive into your story and find out how you got to where you are today, uh, let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? It's pretty simple. 
Seek perfection, accept excellence. Seek perfection, accept excellence. What do you mean by that? Well, pretty much in everything you do, figure out exactly how you can make it the best it can be and keep striving it to make it the best it is, as perfect as you possibly can. Look, there's no such thing as plan A. As a matter of fact, on my uh, epitaph on my gravestone, it'll say, there's no such thing as plan A. And it's really true. You'll try to get to plan A, and you should do every piece you can to get to as close as perfection as you can. But in the end, be satisfied with excellence, and then you'll be pretty happy with what you've achieved. But more importantly, all your guests and your customers and everybody else will love it. I dig it. And you went to the, the Culinary Institute of America, so I'm assuming you must have known from a really young age or somewhat young that you wanted to make this your career, you wanted to make this your path. Can you bring us to the moment where you knew that this was what you wanted to do? Yeah, it's kind of strange. Uh, my career path was supposed to be Jacques Cousteau. I was, wanted to be a marine <laughs> biologist from the time I was in third grade. I saw that. Uh, and uh, I realized it was a lot more fun uh, cooking fish than studying them and putting them in a jar. And uh, I grew up in a family. My mom in the early 60s was the Julia Child of the neighborhood. I came home saying, can we just have fried chicken and meatloaf? And instead I had ch chicken Parisienne and grasshopper pie. Most kids would have loved it. I was like, can't I just be normal like the other kids? But I, food was the whole house. And so as I w grew up and went to college and all of a sudden I'm out there with manatees swimming around me on a boat and I'm measuring plankton in a deciliter of water, I was like going, aren't we supposed to be swimming with them? There's something wrong here. And, and that's when I started figuring out, you know what? Restaurants are probably what I'm fascinated with. This is what I like. Uh, I love eating out. I love going places. I had been uh, very fortunate as a kid to eat in some of the best restaurants in New York City because my dad was a foodie back before the term existed. My mom was an excellent chef, and, and it was inevitable. So you spent two years at Florida Institute of Technology studying marine biology, uh, and then you spent two years off. Did you get into the industry to get experience to make sure it was something you wanted to do, or what were you doing during, during those two years before going to the CIA? Uh, I was uh, chasing five W-2 forms a year. <laughs> I, uh, I basically was an auto body repairman, uh, Mason's apprentice, carpenter. I probably weighed all of 120 pounds carrying shingles up on the top of a roof on a ladder that weighed almost as much That's as That's harder me. than it looks. It was, and it was pretty, pretty – <laughs> I'm amazed I'm still alive. But uh, really what ended up happening was I made the decision that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into it as a business. Uh, I never really wanted to be a chef, but I realized that's where all the money was uh, being tied up. It was labor. It was food cost. It was the heart of everything that was going on. So I better figure it out. So if you could do it all, you'd have the bigger margins, basically, is what you're thinking. Yeah, I figured I needed to get experience. You know, mm -hmm. I'm from a generation where you worked your way up. I didn't realize, you know, I could have taken a couple more shortcuts probably in the, in the, in the first part. So, you know, I literally graduated culinary school, was going to be married in six weeks, found where's the best place I could possibly work, which was the Jockey Club at the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, D.C. At that time, it was the number one restaurant in the city. And I went to work for six fifty an hour. I didn't really care about what I was making. I'm sure my wife, future wife did, but I, I, I didn't. I wanted to figure out how do I find out from the best, what do you learn? So what did you learn? Take us to this first job. Did you have any key mentors? Uh, was it what you expected? Or maybe should we hover over CIA for a little bit? Were there any key No, there's plenty of people that tell you about the CIA. The CIA is a great <laughs> school, and culinary school is important, and it gives you a foundation. And from that point, you know, education is important as a foundation. But you're not going to know what to do when you come out. People that come out of culinary school and go right to be a chef or a sous chef have completely lost out on a critical stage of their development. What is that stage? Break that down. It's really understanding 
how to shake a stove if you're going into the culinary aspect or how to work a room if you're in the front of the house. And those are really interesting skills as difficult as someone trying to learn to be a pro golfer. If you really want to know this stuff, you know, nobody sits there and just gets up to the tee and drives. I was going to put this in my back pocket for later because I saw that you're very involved with education. You're part of the uh, TRA uh, educational, I'm not sure if I'm saying, foundation? Is that the right? The educational foundation. I'm also on the National Restaurant Association Education. So education is a huge, uh, it's clearly there that you value education. Uh, But I was curious as to what your thoughts were on education today. I feel like it doesn't hold the same weight it used to. Um, and it, I, I'm, I'm kind of picking up on a little bit that you might feel that same way. You, you pointed out the value of an education, but I've found personally the people that I interview, the, the, the people that go into the CIA at the age of 25, 26, 27, almost always graduate at the top of class. Yeah. And, they, and they get that experience. They know exactly why they're there. They, they are willing. They are committed. They've done right. the work. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I went in at 22. So yep. I kind of knew what I wanted. I had already played around with college. Uh, I had already had loans. I took more loans because the CIA wasn't cheap. Uh, but, you know, what I will tell you is the desire for learning is the key to every culture. It's the key to every success story. You can't possibly be successful if you don't have an urge to learn and you're not open to learn from every single person you meet. So education starts from the first time you walk into any restaurant in a job and you walk up to the dishwasher and start talking to them. I'm going to tell you or her or the host or the guest, there isn't a person you will meet that isn't going to teach you something if you would just put your ego and everything aside and listen. And the biggest mistake that most restaurateurs make, they stop listening and they stop learning and they don't realize that as an owner of a restaurant, as a GM of a restaurant, as a leader of a restaurant company, that they work for the employees. That's who they work for. The employees don't work for them. Yeah, it's funny that you're mentioning this because uh, I, I sometimes introduce myself as a student of the industry. Uh, and I literally was taking classes when I started this podcast. and that, But it, it stuck and I never took that off because one of the things I've noticed about the most successful people in this industry consider themselves a student to the day you know, the last day in the kitchen and even beyond that, you know, and, and that's one mentality you have to have. You are a student. The learning never ends. There's always a better way to do something. There's always the evolution of something and you've got to stay on the leading edge to, to be competitive. I think you're totally right. You know, uh, I remember when I first graduated culinary school, I was like, oh, I really know something now. I didn't know anything two years ago. And when I got into my last class with the last instructor, I realized, wow, I don't really know anything. This guy's blowing me away in the, in the, the final kitchen. Uh, Frenchman uh, Claude Germain, he wrote a book called The Norman Table. You should go find it. It's unbelievable. Anyway, I get out. I go to work at the jockey club, and I get my butt kicked, literally, by not only the fellow cooks but by the French chef yelling at me. Uh, I had to start off as a pastry guy. You started off as a pastry chef in a classic Brigade, and then you went for every position, which was tournant. And then Poisson, Poissonnier and Saucier and, and, and all these other things. And I worked my way through that entire system. And I learned some really key things. Yes, I learned how to cook at a very high level and how to cook without tickets, holding 30 things in your memory, having it called out to you in a foreign language, having to look things up in a book that was like the chef would write the special for the day. There would be a repertoire in French. You'd read it in French. 
he'd leave. He'd come back at five minutes before line check and throw your stuff away if it wasn't right, and you'd scramble to get ready for service. You know, it was a tough environment that was, I don't think it was necessary, but I will tell you it was good for me. It molded the hell out of me. Uh, and by the time I got out of there, what I really learned about it was I, I left as a sous chef, although I wasn't a clear-cut manager by the union standards in the hotel. And I had the union shop rep next to me who never turned me in, even though I was acting in a managerial capacity at the place. And what I learned from that is every single person in every single job, no matter what you're doing, you have the control to affect the sphere of others around you. And if you affect your sphere of influence, you can make things change. Mm. Every single person can make change. Don't ever feel like you're hopeless. It's just a matter of how do you communicate that information and figure out the path that gets everybody pushing the cart in the same direction. And all of a sudden, things just happen. I want to dive into this a little bit deeper. Uh, how are you – what is the approach specifically you're taking? Take me to that example of uh, – are, are you talking about the people that are right next to you? Is it, are you using relationships to affect change? Or what, what are you using specifically to affect change? Yeah, life is about building relationships. Restaurants are about building relationships. My business is all about relationships. If you think about a relationship, it can be as simple as buying a car. You go into, well, now it's a little different because you can do it on an app. But before that, you would go into a car dealer. You might buy a car, and I meet somebody that's gregarious, that really seems to be taking an interest in me. I feel they haven't taken advantage of me, and I build a relationship with that person. I'm going to go buy another Jeep, let's say. The first one was a Jeep. I'm going to buy a Jeep again. I can buy a Jeep anywhere. So what's the defining factor? Especially now, I can look up all the pricing. I can figure out what my markup is and what I want to pay the guy. I can buy that anywhere. But if I have a relationship with you and you have a relationship with me. Yeah, do you trust the dealer? I was a car dealer. That was one of my five W-2s. <laughs> yeah, okay. I sold cars. Uh, I don't trust anybody in the car dealership okay. <laughs> industry, although there are really good people in it. I shouldn't take it that way. It's, just, it's like anything else. Educate yourself. So get back to education again. Go in with all the information. Anticipate, you know, anticipate your awareness anticipate what are all the things you have to ask about, figure out what's going on, do your research, and you'll be successful. Beautiful. Um, so we should zoom to 30,000 feet real quick sure. because I feel like we kind of alluded to it in the intro. You, you have a wide breadth of experience uh, from fine dining to hotels to casual dining to cute, quick service restaurants, like everywhere. Um, what – where – What's the next big step for you? Because typically I go chronologically from one restaurant to the next restaurant. Sure. But if we were doing that, we'd be here for two and a half hours. Yeah, we'd be out of time because I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a migrant worker, even though I spend two to three to four years with all of them. So we kind of hovered over your experience, uh, your first restaurant experience. Right. Any other key lessons in that, in that time before we move to the next evolutionary period for you, or the next key mentor who really influenced you? Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the first phase of my career was really about how do you learn the skill sets? I mean... Do, and I will tell you, you know, uh, I listened to one of your other podcasts. You mentioned uh, somebody was talking about PR, and I apologize for the gentleman's name, but he was talking about Franklin's Barbecue. And if you ever read Franklin Barbecue, Franklin's Manifesto on Barbecue, if you read his book, uh, you see that there's a pattern to all these people, whether it's an artist, whether it's that person, uh, uh, this person, they all have the same thing. They became impassioned on something. And then they spent so much time on it, every little nuance. So in that first phase for me, to give you a, a quick story, every morning as the AM saucier, I had to make three and a half gallons of Madeira sauce 
every morning. Good when I had a hangover because I could hang my head over the pot and get a little bit more alcohol <laughs> reduction. But at the end of the day, every day I kept a journal and I changed one simple ingredient, just one factor. Do you caramelize it more? Do you caramelize it less? Do I reduce the alcohol more to a syrup? And then do I add some fresh back? Do, how much Mirapol? All these different variations. And at the end of six months, it became this certain balance. And at the end of it, the person that had been making it for four years before me where we swapped jobs because he needed to work nights and I wanted to work days, came and looked at me and says, I don't know what you're doing. I made this sauce for so long, I don't know how it got there. And I walked him through it. But that foundation set up everything I ever do now. I don't even have to think about it. I don't, you know, it just, it just happens. You know, it's almost metaphysical. It just so what, it, what is specifically is that foundation? The, the day by day, a little tweak to be better? It's the understand your craft know everything about what you have to do. If you're working a line as a line cook, where do I put my spoon? Do I put my spoon here or do I put my spoon here? You know, just moving it two inches could speed up a fraction of a section on a pickup. It's analyzing every piece that makes it perfect. You know, we can all be Tom Brady lovers or haters, but at the end of the day, you can tell that guy analyzes every single thing, looks at every single piece, takes full responsibility for it, and then turns around and figures out what they're going to solve. I think he's starting to win over the rest of the nation with that last one because six rings, man. I mean, it's yeah. kind of ridiculous. Like, people are finally starting to stop the hate and I think appreciate what this guy has accomplished. It's pretty amazing. But anyway, we're not so here to So it's that single-minded <laughs> piece of figuring out your craft and what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And then you start to say, okay, well, so when you look at my career, what do I want to do next? So here I am in a, in a top hotel, in a top restaurant, cooking for the elite of society and everybody else. And I go in to work at the old Ebbett Grill and open the old Ebbett Grill. I'm a 27-year-old executive sous chef. Uh, I've got 50 inner city kids. We're going to teach them how to make pasta, ice cream, everything from scratch, change the menu twice a day. It's 345 seats. The restaurant was supposed to do 3.5 million. It did 5.4. The chef left on the first day, and I became the chef of it. Man. And I'll, I'll still remember expediting uh, the tickets falling on the floor and looking at the clock and the clock went backwards. It's the only time I ever saw time go backwards. That's how bad under I was. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, uh, and from that, every day you would go in and go, okay, well, uh, let's set the mise en place up. We're going to double what we did yesterday because the business is so strong because it was a home run. Well, what happened? We blew that out and ran out. And wow. so the next day I said, well, let's do twice that much and we'll do the next one. And so you just keep fighting to where you, it's like swimming in the middle of a lake and eventually you're either going to sink to the bottom or you're going to keep going and you learn these techniques. Yeah. And that's pretty incredible to transition to the executive chef role with, I mean, how, how far up the ladder did you climb at uh, the jockey club? I, I started, uh, as I said, as a regular line position and then uh, left at the, as a sous chef, AM sous chef. Okay, so you're pretty close to, to getting to the top of that ladder. Um, but you skipped a lot of responsibilities when jumping into this next role. What was that like, having never really um, been at the, you know, the, the, the lead of a kitchen, right. and then taking on that responsibility? Uh, how did you adapt? What, what advice do you have for somebody who was just thrusted into that role? Well, it was challenging. Um, I had a lot of conversations with the general manager, the owner, and the corporate chef for the company on almost a daily basis. And, you know, some of them started out with WTF, happened. 
<laughs> so you would sit there in this hot seat and you know if you don't i don't know if you know anybody that ever goes under usually looks at no matter what it is they look at it and go okay i don't really want to do that again that was really unpleasant you know so the paradigm shift is how do i change that and and that's really what it was it was okay what's going on and i made mistakes and one of the biggest mistakes i made uh, was I f actually forgot the first lesson we were talking about before, affect your sphere of influence. Get your team. They're the most important people. You work for them. I thought they worked for me at 27. Mm. Most 27 years do. When did, you like, when did you figure that out? When did you make that switch? Uh, as I got further along in my career, um, I realized as you start to get into a more global position, and then at, at some point you start to realize that, and this is one that chefs hate to hear. Every restaurant company I walk into, every chef I walk into, every chef owner I deal with, when I say, you work for the server, the server doesn't work for you, they're like, no, no way, man. I tell the servers what to do because they need to be told what to do. No, the server is the only person that interacts with the guest that collects money. Mm -hmm. They're the revenue source. Yep. We work for them. And when I was at Ruth Chris, running Ruth Chris, I would explain to my district general managers and my vice presidents of operations that worked under me to say, you are like a consultant to the restaurant. Your job is not to disrupt their daily pattern so that they do a bunch of work for you and they're not paying attention to the guests. Your job is to help them, educate them, train them, provide resources, do whatever it is that they need to be successful. And in doing so, you will become successful, the company will be successful, and Ruth will be very happy. And that's really became the, by the end of my term at Roos, I pretty much had settled into a management leadership version of that said, you know, and that's how I ended up being, it kind of ended up being a consultant after that, but that yeah. was really an accident by a phone call. Yeah, I think we're going to be probably jumping around a lot today because you just sure. fast forwarded 18 years into the future when you were at Roos, yeah. uh, which is fine because there's a, there's a great lesson in that and it tied together really nicely. Um, so, I mean, what about mentors? What about, I mean, you, you kind of, like I said, were thrusted into this, this uh, leadership role from a very yeah. early point. Um, but you, you, did you find, did you have mentors or did you uh, put yeah. other people? I, I have mentors and I mentor people. Mm. Uh, mentorship is the best gain that anybody can have. If you don't have any mentors now, my recommendation is pick anybody that you think is successful, invite them to lunch and ask them to talk about themselves and try to see if you establish a rapport. Why that approach? Uh, again, it goes back to everybody can teach you something. And the favorite conversation that anybody has goes like this. Me, 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 you, me, 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 you, you, me, me, <laughs> me. So successful people like to share. And they want to tell you how they got to be successful. And along the way, you learn tricks from them. Pretty much like you're doing. You're walking around... Your, your wealth of knowledge, I'd like to tap into your head right now. You've heard a lot of things that I would like to know. <laughs> I've so, been going so hard, I need to stop back and look at things. Right. It's, I mean, it's almost incredible. 600 episodes. You know, you really have a lot of captured stuff that's there uh, that we didn't all get to hear. You edited, whatever. So, so, you know, again, it's, wow, how do I get learn that? But mentors, yeah. For example, one of my mentors just recently passed away, um, John, John Latham. He was the... Um, President, CEO, owner of Clyde's Restaurant Group in Washington, D.C., who owned the Old Ebbett. Uh, we're about to open the Old Ebbett Grill. He knows it's going to be stressful. This is 1984, and he puts us all in a stress management class. Then he turns around and starts working on teaching people leadership. 
No one does this now. No one teaches operational leadership regularly. They teach her skills. They teach her, they don't sit there and say, okay, look, we're gonna work on one minute manager. Then we're gonna look at in search of excellence. We're gonna see what management tools are out there today so we can be better leaders. And by being better leaders and being better supportive of our team, our team will be successful. People have worked for that company for 40 years. That's as a incredible. bartender. I think I spoke to one other person that worked there who got a start there. Paul Tunerman. Does that sound familiar? Did you cross paths with him? Okay. Anyway, um, give me one nugget about leadership. I mean, we know leadership is important, but what did he teach you specifically about leadership? What is a good leader? Every mentor I've had has had one character, and I've been very fortunate. I've worked with great companies. I've only had one time where it felt more like a job than a passion. Not that I wanted to wake up every day and go to work, but almost every day I wake up and want to go to work. And culture. They all created a culture, a culture of you can rise as high as your skill set will take you. And we will support you in that as long as you execute a sense of excellence in your performance. And that, to me, is what all these great mentors had. Yeah. To to compound off of that, what happens when somebody reaches a a level of height that exceeds what you can do for them? What is what in your opinion? What's the responsibility of the restaurant owner at that point? Oh, it's to get them moved on. I mean, the the ultimate job of every leader is as soon as they get their position to find their replacement, groom their replacement, so that they can go on to do other things that are better and more important. Yeah. Just like why somebody gets hired to work. Most people now don't understand that, yeah, work's a four-letter word, so is love. But at the end of the day, the only reason anybody has a job is you're doing the job in the way that the person that hired you wants you to do it, not how you want to do it. Because that way they can go off and do something more that will benefit the big picture of everybody grow the business, create opportunities, create opportunities for everybody, expand the restaurants, expand the company, uh, get publicity, all the things that they could do better if they weren't having to expedite the line. So they don't need you to tell them how to expedite the line. You know, that should be a black and white thing. They've shown you how to do that. What you need to have gray area in is entrepreneurism. How do you improve a a process? How do you create new ideas? No one needs to know that a coffee cup needs to be anywhere else but six inches from the edge of the table with the handle at four o'clock. No one has to have a discussion. Well, should the handle be at three? Should the handle be at two? No, just the chef. If the chef or owner says the handle's at four o'clock, do it. Yeah. You don't need to be thinking about that. Let's think about how do I generate more sales? How do I make somebody happier? How do I make people really love this place that they become an advocate for our culture, for our brand and go out and tell everybody, I don't know, but you have to go there. Mm. It's the same with hiring. You know, people look at hiring like, oh, I got to have an interview with somebody. Oh, my God, what a golden opportunity. What does this person have to share with me? I know it sounds terrible. It feels like I'm just like a, a thief <laughs> sucking things out of them. But I look at everybody and I go, man, somebody's got somebody. He's got something. She's got something. Yeah. I want to hear what it is. And an interview, most people do an interview. They say, here's a job. This is what we're doing. Tell me about yourself. They ask the basic same interview questions. But what they forget to do is that they're selling the interviewee on the culture the restaurant, the business, whatever it is, and why they should work there. And in doing so, you would love that that person would go back and go, hey, you know what? I didn't get a job there, but you should apply. It was totally awesome. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I just made the decision that I'm throwing the chronological approach out the window because you're just such a wealth of knowledge. I feel like I can if I just focus on what you want to talk about when we pull back layers and jump around. I feel like there's going to be so much just dropped out of this conversation to, to, to pull back the layer and what you just share with us. Uh, something a, a way I like to look at it is you're not trying to they're not trying to sell themselves to you. Especially in today's market, when you're interviewing somebody, you're selling yourself to them. Uh, especially if they if they're if they've earned the right to sit in front of you, if they if they've passed through all those gates and you know and they and they have uh, the credential to sit there, like you right. got to sell yourself to them. Why is that so important? Well, it, it's really important. You know, your job uh, in hiring somebody is to assess four things. In my mind, the four things are: can do, will do, fit in, improve. Those four simple things. If can you do the job? Okay, you have to put a box on a shelf four feet above your head. Mm-hmm. Can you can you pick the box up and put it on your? Yeah, I can do it. Yeah, first hoop. Will you do it? You're excited to do it. You feel part of the team. You want to do it. Great. You want to do it. That's harder to get. Yeah. Okay. Especially these days, it's really hard. And then the the next thing is fit in. Doesn't mean that everybody's the same. As a matter of fact. The different, more different, the, the 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 more diversity you have, the more successful you're going to be. You can look at any study you want and take seven people that are an authority on a subject and seven people from different walks of life that kind of have an idea about the subject, and a couple people are an authority. The the group of diversity will beat the the pros every time. Yeah. So so why, you, why do you think that, why do you think that is? I'm curious. Different lines, different perspectives, different look out, uh, different uh, foundations. You know, it's that's why I'm so eager to meet people because they all have a different yeah. perspective than I do. And when, when you, I think, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of like research on humanity, culture, how we got to where we are today. Because I find human studies just fascinating because yeah. this is a, a, an industry of relationships. So why not study the evolution of relationships sure. over time, right? Um, but one thing I've, I've picked up on is like one of the questions I ask all my guests is what is your it factor? And I think the human it factor is diversity, is the fact that if you put a group of 20 people in a room, the ability. The, the abilities, the things collectively that you can accomplish with that diversity is yeah. so powerful. And so you can't restrict that diversity. You have to let it go. You have to bring it out of people. How do you do that? Well, look, you know, uh, we started this conversation back where I said I was going to bring a biologist. You know, you look at just the process of evolution. The more combinations of things put together, some will be failures. Some will never make it. Some will be interesting for a while. But ultimately... For survival, these new insights will come in. And, and that's what's so crucial now. You know, I see these companies that I walk into, and everybody's an old white male. And you wonder why they're having a problem. <laughs> okay? How, you, know, it's, 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 you know, it's not that age is necessarily a problem with the thing, if they're current and what's going on. But it's perspective. It, it's perspective. How yeah. can you relate to... Gen Z, millennials, Gen Y. How can you relate to any of that if we want to put labels on those people? Mm-hmm. I think they all have the same similarity and want all the same things anyway. I think a lot of that is, you know, it's like trying to put people in boxes. People don't fit in boxes very well. And if they do, they bust out. Yeah. So I think we might, I might have cut you short. We covered. Um, yeah. So we covered. Uh, will. Can do. Can will. Can and- do. Will do. Fit in. And the last is improve. And that's the crucial one. Why is that that's so That's the one that makes the top 10% of your crew better then the bottom 30% and the middle. You go into a restaurant, someone's worked there for 10 years. They keep coming in for a uh, raise and they've, all they've ever done is the same thing for 10 years. They haven't earned any 
reason for a raise. And first of all, the boss doesn't give anybody a raise anyway. The customer does. That's the other misleading thing. People think that their pay comes from the boss or the owner or the manager or the GM. I've never paid anybody personally in my life, uh, unless it's they work for me directly in this company. But ultimately, they don't. Re- I didn't really pay them either. My clients paid them. I just facilitated the f- cash flow like a banker to them. Yeah. So our success, their success, all is related to where the source comes mm-hmm. in, goes back to, to it. So if you're willing to improve, if every day I come in and I do what we talked about, like for the Madeira sauce, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the perfect employee for you as a, as a chef because, oh, my gosh, this guy's every day is trying to figure out how to make it better yeah. to the point that he's challenging me. You know, I was in competition with the chef after a while because he had to fill in for me on a vacation for a couple of days and he wanted to prove to everybody he could make it better than I did. He failed, <laughs> which was a big success for me because he had ridden me for three and a half years. <laughs> so I, I love this. I mean, Roger just identified two of the three top tiers in Maslow's hierarchy of needs that he's, that he's checking for when he's hiring people. The first, the top tier is self-actualization. I think that Absolutely. comes later on. Uh, or maybe it can come within your, it absolutely can come within your organization. But the two that you identified was the second to the top, which was uh, personal growth, uh, always learning, always willing to be learning. And the, the third from the top is belonging, being loved. Do they fit in? Right. And if you identify and you filter and you, and you for, for those things, I mean, you are only going to help yourself out. Anything else that's worth diving into in this, uh, the subject of hiring? Yeah, I think you have to be genuine. You have to really believe that you want people to be successful. There are people that have worked for me where I used to, when I hired them, I used to tell them, look, here's how it's going to live when you get here. And if you think it's an eight to five job or an eight hour job and you're going to kind of clock in and you're going to kind of do what you want to do and you're kind of do it, you're not going to make it. It's going to be the worst job you ever had. You're not going to like me. Don't come here. So it's really setting expectations as well of, of what that expectation is. And, you know, uh, people that work for me every once in a while I see show up on Facebook from employees and people that have worked for me before a part of my old restaurant family or the restaurants I've owned. They'll, somebody will all of a sudden start on a trail. Remember when Raj asked if we were at his, he was at our birthday party. And then all they all start, they all start piping in. And that, that line was, I used to start off with every crew. And I do it at most orientations and say, was I at your last birthday party? And they go, no. And I said, that's right. I have no obligation to you other than to create a great work environment, get you paid, and allow you to have a successful, fun time here. I don't have to text you your schedule. I don't have to call you. I don't have to go pick you up. Now, I will tell you, I've done all those things. I've picked people up at their house because they had certain adversities so that they could make it to work so they wouldn't be fired. So it's a genuine belief that you really are there to understand what a leader's job is. And that is provide what used to be called the term, their rice bowl. You as a leader or a manager have a responsibility to anybody that works for you to ensure they can be successful, they can take care of their family, and they can live their life. And the biggest example I give you, I opened two restaurants here called Zia Woodfire Grill as a licensee uh, back uh, when I first moved back here to look after my mom and dad. And the goal was... We didn't have insurance until our employees had insurance and a 401k in two restaurants. Well, that took out a lot of profits. But at the end of the day, if we're not going to ensure our people can be healthy and we're not going to be ensured that they can be safe, then we're not really good leaders. Mm. Man, I am loving this conversation. We're at the point where we're going to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. 
So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning, and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website we're back so one thing I'm really interested in about or interested about in you is that you do have this wide scope from hotel fine dining casual dining like I mentioned QSR uh, now you're consulting. Were you intentional with the path you took? Uh, did you want to have this this wide scope of experience, a jack of all trades? Uh, what what was the? How did you end up here with all this experience? Totally by accident, really. <laughs> uh, I always kid around. Uh, I tell people all the time that I, I you know I had too much ADD, I guess, or whatever. But really, it started off. If we start our journey back, I thought I wanted to own a restaurant. Everybody does. And I got involved, and I said, well, I better study the back of the house first. So that's what I did. And I found out I was really good at it, and it was really fun. Just like anybody who ever goes to work in a restaurant, it's like heroin. You're, you're in, you can't get out, you never get out. It always still craves at you. You know, it's just what it is. So, you know, I, I, I started off as that. I was really good at it. I was able to – I had a gift of being able to taste flavors – put flavors together and understand how they would come out before they ever came out. Uh, I have a somewhat photographic memory for taste. I can remember, I can tell some people sometimes uh, based on a recipe when it was made three days before or four days before, just those little nuances. So I was very fortunate with that. And next thing I know, I woke up, it was 20 something years later and I had a mentor turn around. uh, uh, But before that, uh, uh, I decided um, I'm practical and I have a family. And here I am, a celebrity chef at City Grill. I'm on TV. I'm flying around. I'm in magazines. I'm doing cooking dinners with the, you know, my heroes, which was, you know, Wolfgang Puck and Alice Waters. And, and I, you know, I'm really excited about it. I'm feeling really good. But I'm realizing there's more to that than this. And then I'm watching a turn in the industry. It's now 1997, 98. And people are realizing, you know, I don't need a chef. Let's just have a kitchen manager. Let's just have something else. And I also saw a ceiling. If I hadn't been an owner of my restaurant, I would have been doing all this for someone else, only making a certain amount of money and never getting over it. And I was like, you know what? I didn't get into this to just, you know, I love it, but I, I got to figure out how to make a business. You got to survive. You got to sustain. And that's how I ended up. All of a sudden, I got fascinated with this idea of manufacturing, which is really why I can have my business today, too. And I was like, how do I make a gallon of soup into 1,500 pounds? consistently and then the scientist part of my brain kicked in again because that's what food food 
by the way, everybody thinks, oh, baking's hard because it's, it's a formula and food isn't. No, food's a formula too. It's very exacting. Uh, this idea, we'll add a little more of this or add a little more of that. That's not beginning with the end in mind. You don't end up, you'll never repeat it for one thing. You'll never mm -hmm. get exactly right. So I was fascinated by this and I looked and who was doing the best in the industry was Boston Market. They were making clean label food that was really good. And they were opening two stores a day. So now the business That's side, ridiculous. the business <laughs> side of my mind is going, wow, there's something to be learned here. I think I should go learn this. And fortunately, I got a call and somebody said, you know, they're looking for somebody to do concept evolution, new product development. Well, my whole life, I've always created new concepts or fixed concepts. When I walked into City Grill, it was losing $30,000 a month. <clears throat> when I uh, was at uh, Clyde's, when I went to one of their other restaurants, it was having declining sales, and we figured out how to grow sales. So I kept looking at concepts. I kept looking at the evolution of them, what makes them great, what doesn't, and it just kind of fell that way. So I took this job, and my first job was to create new products for Boston Market and also create seven what the next generation boston markets would look like unfortunately i did it two clicks before the roller coaster went over the hill but it got to me to colorado i was living in one of the most beautiful states in the world i would look out my window at the work and there were eagles flying around and antelope walking i mean jumping by and elks and you know beautiful lifestyle and i'm like going you know i'm working nine to five which i was kind of bored i didn't really understand that concept at all my first new year's eve off i had no, no idea what to do i think i went to bed by 10 because that always worked. I never yeah. you know, didn't understand it. So, so I kind of you know moved through that, and then I got a uh, Boston Market. You know, obviously took its trajectory, and um, I watched a team of twenty-seven get down to three, and I was one of the three. And it was a you know eye-opening experience, I guess, but not one I'd like anybody ever to go through. And that's when I got a call to go to Ruth Chris Steakhouse, and a mentor of mine, uh, Bill Hyde. Uh, turned around and said um, he had uh, he had been the president of the parent company of my restaurant, City Grill, and Peasant Restaurants, and he said it's time for you to be the businessman you've always been, trade that double-breasted in for a single-breasted jacket and come work for me, and run operations. You'll have half the company to start with, and we'll put culinary under you so you don't feel like you have you're lost. Can we tap the brakes here real yeah. quick? Because I have to highlight what you did there. Uh, we, we hear a lot on the show when you're opening a restaurant, do one thing really well, have a unique selling proposition, and stand out. If you have no aspirations of opening and owning your own restaurant and you want to be successful as a, as a chef or a front of house person, become a specialist. Do one thing better than everybody else, I feel like. Maybe, you know, but I feel like that's kind of what happened with you. Like you said, you became good at a lot of things. And now you say, I, I want to really become successful. I need to become a specialist. I, I'm going to learn how to cook good food to scale because that's a hard thing to do. Uh, did I hear that wrong when you said you wanted to be able to cook? Well, look, my, my feeling is this. Learn something, be a specialist till you master it. Then move on to something else. Mm -hmm. Okay? It takes 10 years to master anything. Okay? doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're a chess player podcast maker takes 10 years you know yeah, five years ago <laughs> yeah your first podcast wasn't the same as this one okay let's let's face do it. not go back to that first right, podcast right so <laughs> so it's the same thing you know for me it's how do you build this incredible foundation and then what happened was the foundation was just because of this again we get back to this goal to learn i'm always reading i'm always looking at things i have useless facts on almost all sorts of things that just stays in my brain and people go why do you even waste space on that i i can't help it 
you know, we started off our conversation before you set up and I said, I want to know more about what you do for podcasts. I'm not doing this just to be nice to you. I really am interested to know I'd love to about that, that stuff. Yeah. So, so, you know, because uh, again, it's something else that somebody might want to know as I go along. And if my goal in life is to make my clients successful, this is an avenue that I should learn some more about. But it really comes down to the fact that master something. You know, I mastered how to cook. I can still get, I'm a little rusty, but I can get behind a stove and I'll probably still shake it better than most of the people that I cook against. You know, learn, understand flavors and hidden combination flavors and how do flavors go together. Well, I worked on that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, why do you put garlic with saffron or a little bit of vanilla with lobster or any of these other hidden flavors that when they combine together create a synergy? So you keep working at that. Then you look at leadership, you look at people, and you keep working on that. And then all of a sudden, you figure out, okay, now what do I do? Okay, uh, I'm not going to be able to retire yet because my brain won't let me, and I don't think I ever will. But there's a lot of things that I want to do. So I invest in other things that I want to work on. But it, it just comes down to, I don't think you have to be the master of only one thing, but I think you have to master the thing before you move on to the next thing. And that's really the difference yeah. to, in my perspective. I think it. how I was going to round that off uh, was become a person of value. Uh, mm-hmm. And if, if you don't want to go and open the restaurant, become a person of value so you can create opportunities for yourself. Never stop learning. Never stop getting those skills. Uh, or you could take the, the, the avenue where you become the best at one thing. So like, look at like a lawyer or a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. They don't become – they're not just – they don't fix everything. They become specialists, right? Um, I don't know if it could apply to the restaurant industry. Uh, I feel like it could. Uh, but I also see what you're saying. I, I see the, 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 uh, the perspective of mastering – one thing before moving on to the next thing. Yeah, I know. I, I don't disagree with you. I think you have to be focused and understand it. Uh, but to think that uh, if we'll use Franklin's barbecue again, if he really got passionate about chicken parm and wanted to just do chicken parm restaurant, I'm pretty sure he'd take the same idea that he had <laughs> and come up with the best chicken parm restaurant there ever was. Uh, so, so again, I, I think you're right in the perspective of people need to focus and really you can't do everything. But at the same time, for my business, it was, let me look back now. What are my skill sets? And really how my, even my business started with a phone call, the current business, 16 years ago. I got a call. Ruth Fertel had passed away. Uh, venture capitalists were brought in to get the money out for her family, mm-hmm. uh, which I helped. And then uh, I kind of saw the direction it was going. Uh, went for, private restaurant companies, by the way, are the best to ever work for. Uh, public companies have to have quarterly earnings, so they make decisions that aren't in the best interest of employees, quality, value. They're making it in the interest of money. Uh, not that money isn't important, believe me. You know, Profitability in a restaurant is what protects everybody else's rice bowls, mm-hmm. as we talked about before. Yeah. If we can't make any money, everybody isn't focused on profitability, we won't be successful. But at the end, you, you take a look at this, and I said, well, what am I going to do? And I said, you know what? I just spent 25 years in restaurants and kitchens, sometimes working six, seven months, 100 hours a week, never having a day off, half a day off seeing my kids. I've been married for uh, 39 years in March. I've been together 40, almost 44 with my wife, 43, 44. So uh, uh, family's important to me. It was you know, a big decision to make it. So I sat there and I said, what am I going to do? And I said, you know what? I live in Colorado. Uh, it's November. I'm going to be a ski bum. <laughs> okay. I'm going to ski in the morning and I'm going to cook for my family at night and I'm just going to relish the idea and figure out what I want to do next. Maybe, you know, because things will happen organically. And within six or nine months, something will come up. I'll figure out what's going on. I went out of work a week and a half. I was writing personal letters to every one of the people that had written me. I had 240 emails or 
letters that people wrote me wow. uh, when I left the company, thanking me for different things, which was really, I, as a matter of fact, when I would get depressed, I would pull that file out every once in a while, look at it and go, you know what? I did okay there. I wasn't, it wasn't a waste of time. When, when you left Ruth's or was this the... When I left Ruth's. Okay. When I left Ruth's, you know, and so, uh, you know, I'm running a big company. They're, they're, they're all over the world. I had 17 franchisees that I worked with. I had, uh, at the time, 50-something corporate restaurants and another uh, 60 franchisee companies uh, and employees. I used to write a letter to every new employee when they joined the company. Uh, I would write a, or every new manager when they write a company, I could write every employee. And then I used to write a note to them on their birthday or their anniversary, work anniversary, and schedule time whenever I was in a restaurant, if I had never met them, to talk to them, to figure out, you know, what it, could they tell me about the company? What was their first impression? What's the best thing they like about it? What don't they like about it? So anyway, uh, to get back on the focus, um, I'm sitting in my office writing these letters, and I get a phone call. And the first phone call I get is from Einstein's Bagels. Wow. And they said, I hear you're not working. And I said, well, I'm, I'm a ski bum. And they said, well, since you're not working. And I said, no, I'm a ski bum. I have an occupation. So <laughs> if you say I'm not working again, I'm going to hang up. And they said, well, do you think we could get us, you could help us? And I said, what are you looking for? And they said, well, we'd like, you, we'd like to ideate 70 items, which is create concepts of what could 70 things be that fit Einstein's bagels. And it could be anything from blue sky down to real reality. And we'll create 40, and we'll show 30. And I go, when do you want to do this? And they go, well, we're going to do it in three days. And since you're uh, not uh, skiing, uh, <laughs> maybe you could put off skiing next week, and we could do it next week. So I said, all right, fine. But really, I didn't want to do it. And um, I did that. That was a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time with those guys. I'd known them for a while. Uh, and uh, didn't have to leave town, didn't have to fly anywhere. Was still home at dinner time. Uh, I said, just write me a check. You know, and that was it. I wasn't thinking anything about it. Friday, I get a call from Boston Market. Same thing. I hear you're not working. I tried to say the ski bumps there. They said, no, you worked with Chad over at Einstein's. Busted. Yeah, busted. <laughs> uh, we'll see you in the office on Monday morning. They gave me three days a week for a year. They hmm. wanted. And I was like, well, I don't know if I could do a year. I said, why don't we just do like three months and see how this goes. And I'll decide if uh, what I'm going to do because I might get a gig. I don't know what to do. I might open a restaurant. I, I really don't know what I want to do right now. And they're like, that's fine. And the next thing I know, I got another call. And then I was like, okay, I better form a company. I, be, yeah, I can't just keep doing this on a sole proprietor yeah. thing. And uh, that was 16 years ago. I haven't cold called anybody in 16 years. And was that the, the that was the beginning, the evolution of the uh, RK your, Innovation? Yeah. Yes, um, man. We there, I can't believe how fast time is going. There's so many things I want to talk about. We're running out of time, but I do want to tap into um, your your specialty to fix an organization. Uh, because you go sure. into a lot of places, you, 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 you analyze, and then you, you make it better. Uh, we, a lot of us that are listening to this, are probably in the position to fix our own organization. So I want you to take us through the, the thought process of what you're looking for uh, sure. and how you start to make that, that change happen, how you fix things. Yeah, I, I actually uh, I try to find out as much information as possible. I will go and spend, if it's a restaurant or a restaurant company that's already up and running, I will spend a couple days working in different positions in the restaurant, observing the kitchen, observing the front of the house, uh, looking at the operational structure. Uh, if they're, I'll sign, I sign tons of NDAs. I look at their financial documents. I try to, you know, a financial document to me is like a Sherlock Holmes story. I see people in it. I see labor dollars in it. I see food in it. I see delivery in it. I see ergonomic designs. When I look at it, I can tell by looking at the numbers, there's waste here 
And so I better find out where that is. And it becomes a detective story for me. Mm -hmm. That's how I stay interested in P&L. So if you want to know how to stay interested in a P&L, make it a story. It's telling you a story. Look at it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, I watch their inventory process. If they're having financial issues, and how do you want to stay interested in financial uh, inventory? Because everybody hates inventory. Go in and tape dollar bills on every item in your kitchen and then count them and put them back in your pocket. And you'll never not want to take care of the money on the inventory ever again. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I look at all these things. And then uh, I listen to what their goals are to achieve. I incorporate. I'm very fortunate. I'm invited by the CEOs and owners of companies uh, into their world. And I'm traveling all over the country, I'm opening new restaurants, I'm learning new items, I'm learning new vendors, I'm learning new things, uh, constantly seeking to figure out what's going on. And I take that latest information and work with them to, in a collaboration to say, okay, here's how we can get here. But there's a lot of data we want. And one of the things that I've noticed about restaurants, especially smaller independent restaurant groups, they don't want to invest in the money that gives them big data. They don't want to do it. They don't have software that are, you know, if you say, okay, well, tell me what that dish costs. Well, I think it's about $4 and I sell it for this. You know, what does it cost? They can't tell me accurately. How often do you do an inventory? They don't do them every week. Unbelievable to me. Uh, they, how, how, what happens if you raise this 25 cents in your menu mix? They can't model it. They don't use any of the techniques that have really been available for a while. And so some of them are very, very successful, but what they don't realize is they're letting all this money flow to the bottom line. So without bragging or saying anything braggadocious, there isn't a restaurant I can walk into that within four hours I can't find 1% to the bottom line. So it sounds like the, the, what I'm hearing, the notes I'm taking are that you, you go in, you listen, you look at the data, you look at the numbers, you listen to the numbers, and you listen to the people. You ask questions about the people. When you identify... I, usually, what what is the what is the biggest thing that that is the problem? Like, what, what is the most common thing that you see being the issue? Well, you know, sometimes when people ask me what I do, they say, "Are you like the that bar rescue guy or Hell's Kitchen guy that goes around <laughs> and fixes a restaurant?" And I said, "No, I don't fix those restaurants because they're never going to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And if you ever look to see how many are still open for Can't, all those guys, they all close. They're all closed. Yeah. And the reason is the biggest problem in that restaurant wake up the morning and looks in the mirror, and that's the owner or the leader." Mm -hmm. You know, it really comes down to any business, no matter what it is, it really comes down to culture, leadership. It really does. It's those two things, and it's their ability to understand what's going on. And if the leader is the problem, then the culture will fail. Yep. But if the culture can guide the leader and the vision can guide the leader, and that's the other thing. You know, what's your purpose? Why are you here? I'm really big on vision statements, not mission statements. Mission statements, most people put on the wall and don't live them. I happen to be a little different. You know, I, my mission statement's very different. That, but, but, but a vision statement, something that they can use as a roadmap that they measure as a litmus against to do it. So, for example, okay, steakhouse. We serve steak. Great. That's a real simple vision statement. We are the best at steak. We sell steak. Steak prices go up. Meat's really expensive. Let's put pasta on a menu. Why? What a help our food cost. <laughs> yeah, but that's not, your, that's not your vision. That's not what we are, yeah. That's not who you are. And you can look at almost every business that I go into, they keep trying to cast a wider and wider net. They don't know where they're going. And they don't know where they're going. Yeah. Even great ones, and they don't. So companies that don't do that, 
in and out Burger. So, so four burgers. Let people customize what they want uh, a little bit. Build the cult before the internet even exists. And then turn around and never do anything but those four things. Yeah. Goes back to your be great at one thing. Yeah. Right? Uh, and you can do it so much better when you just focus on that one thing. Because sure. all that energy is going into that one thing. Um, what is the most important, the, the, the key element of a solid vision statement? It's to really capture as much as possible what is going to guide how you run and operate and live your culture. It really is, it's, it's, it's like a compass. It's telling you, it's your GPS. It's telling you where to go. You hear this story about restaurant DNA. Everybody says restaurant DNA. Some people say they invented it. It's been around a long time, longer than me. The bottom line is, you know, you can think of Richard Melman from Let Us Entertain Me. He's got a great book out there, wrote it 40 years ago probably now. And it's all about the fact that he creates a story, and the story is where everybody lives in it. And they're made up. He created Italian restaurants. The story never existed. He made these characters up. But in understanding the story, everybody can understand and relate to the brand. And so it creates the vision. So, for example, if you went to work for Walt Disney Land or World, and you're goofy, from the time you enter the parking lot to the time you leave, you're effing goofy. Right? That's who you are. Yeah. You're not allowed to get out of your role. And it's the same with a vision. The vision is from the time I walk in as a server, I'm a sales hospitality animal that's going to ensure that you are completely happy. You know, if you think about the best dining experience you've ever had, just on a side note, as a guest or customer, whichever term you like to use, uh, the best dining experience you've ever had you only had to answer two questions. You know what the two questions are? No, I can't think of them. What am I eating? Okay. And what am I, <laughs> I was, drinking? I was overthinking that way too right. much. Sorry. It's what am I eating and what am I drinking? And if you involve me as a customer or guest in any other aspect of the service, then you failed. Hmm. In my mind, when I had a five-star restaurant, with you shouldn't see the straw disappear on the table. You shouldn't need to know you're getting another drink. You shouldn't have to say... Oh, no. Once you've said what I answered the question, what am I eating? What am I drinking? That experience should be that you're totally immersed in your guests, the experience and what you're doing. I love it. Uh, and just one other thing. When, when you come up with these visions, right, mm -hmm. you, you got to write them down uh, because it, it won't yep. last. If, unless you commit it to, to writing, you put it right. someplace and you share it. There's no point of doing these things. Uh, and you can change your vision, but only if you change it in writing first. Right. Because things change over time. Uh, do you disagree with that? I totally agree with it. Okay. That's why I go back to there's no such thing as plan A. Yeah. Everything evolves. Okay. So, so yes, it has to be written and it has to be a statement. And unlike a mission statement where people should be able to you know, measure it and memorize it, which most people can't memorize their mission statement. They don't know. You ask any employee a mission statement for their company, they don't know it anymore. Yeah. Because they, people made it too big. They couldn't get global enough. You know, but a vision statement pretty much is pretty clear. So, Let's use a simple vision statement from a hotel group. Ritz-Carlton. I still remember it today. Ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. How am I supposed to act? Like a lady or gentleman. How am I supposed to serve somebody? Like how, a lady or a gentleman. How yeah. am I supposed to prepare something? It, pretty straightforward. Pretty yeah. globally <laughs> cool, yeah. right? But uh, my vision statements are a little bit more specific because I want them to understand, okay, uh, we're going to create, uh, if it's a kitchen, for food, 
menu concept, the plates will have how many steps. So we're not going to create a plate that takes 10 steps and crashes a line. We're not going to create, you know, we're going to use an ingredient at least three times in the total menu so that we can have smaller inventory and better inventory turns and save money on our cost. So everything kind of is, you know, in a restaurant, it's a butterfly flaps its wings. Every little thing affects everything. Yeah. And the best thing that people can do is be prepared, understand it. So like, for example, if I walk in and you told me I want to create a restaurant, I turn most of those people down once I talk to them. But you made it through that screening. And I think you're really going to be successful. You've answered the questions pretty well. The first thing we do is we build a 52-week performa based on what they think their personal check average is going to be if we can get to that. And that's through discussions and ideation and understanding the concept and what do it. And then they'll tell me what price point they want to be at. And we'll say, well, how many guests are you going to be? And I'll say, okay. And some people, unfortunately, have already signed an LOI on a lease, which I never get. You've not done all the work, but you found the location. And, and so I'm like, well, you need so many seats to be profitable. Each seat is a source of generating income. And it will only be filled. And then we look at what hours of the day it will be filled and what offerings they have. And when they get done, inevitably, we do 52 weeks. Of everything that you can possibly think of, labor, taxes, benefits, valet parking, all the way down on this form that I have. And they look at it and they go, holy smokes, I lost $20,000 of cash contribution. And realistically, I think that's all the people I could probably do. So now everybody's eyes open up. You don't know how many restaurants open up and have never done that. I mean, that's the first time that's come up on the show, so I believe you. Yeah. Nobody does it. And, we, and so you, you, it's, it's like saying, hey, I'm good. Let's yeah. go. I mean, we've heard of doing the projections and knowing your numbers and getting that idea of what you're going to make and putting it into business plan. But I've never heard the 52-week yeah. uh, Actual, projection. like yeah. I, if I build this restaurant now and I open in six months, where do the holidays fall? Yeah. Where does it go? That kind of detail, again, begin with the end in mind, anticipatory awareness. What happens if I don't meet that beautiful production as the big hit? Do you do you host that? I know you have your website. Do you host that document on your website any place? No. It's okay. a part of an ideation session uh, okay. because it has to be built. Uh, it's it's It builds itself. Uh, you start with sales and it automatically populates other things. It's not, it's a little bit more involved than just a standard sheet. But, but again, it's a tool that allows people to understand from a financial point of view. Look, at the end of the day, this is a business. We can, we can be as passionate as we want. You know, I can make the best, you name it, pork belly there is, and we're going to be pork belly or us or whatever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if I can't afford the rent. I, I hear can't you. afford it. And that's a whole other podcast, <laughs> yeah. by the way, is how, I, to, how to, what, what P&L keeps a restaurant Just running. for the record, you have an open invitation to Restaurant Unstoppable. Anytime yeah. you want to come back, we'll record something. I'm open to it for sure. You've been amazing. So during our break, I asked you, is there anything you want to make sure we discuss? And you said, uh, can't, won't. This is what you said to me, can't, won't. So what did you mean by that? Why, why well, did you want to bring that to the table? You know, if you remember, we were talking about hiring people and we talked about the four factors. And the two of them was uh, can do and will do. And Part of the biggest concern that I see now, or what people talk to me about, and it's not just in the restaurant industry, is I hear it all the time. I go in, they're asking me to create a new menu, or they're asking me to create a new manufactured item from benchtop gold standard to manufacture. Like, we just created the best sauce, and I make that sauce so it comes out exactly the way they want it. And in the meantime, they'll say, yeah, you know, we're having a real problem. I can't get my people to do something. 
You hear this all the time. I don't know, this new generation, I can't get them. Let me tell you something. This new generation is stronger and better than my generation or any other generation. We're all the same. It's just the motivation and where you, how you interpret it. But at the end of the day, people can do something and be successful. It comes down to two things. They either can't do it or they won't do it. If they can't do it, you as a leader have screwed up. You have not provided a resource, skill, training, first. development. You have not. It's your fault. They're still learners, and you can't hold them accountable. That's the first loop or hoop that you're, or gate that you put them through. Can they do it? Right. Yeah. And so if you don't give them the tools to be successful, then how do you expect them to be successful? Right? And those tools are it's a myriad of tools. It can be physical. It can be psychological. It can be all those things. But you have to give them those tools. Once you know that someone can do something, you can hold them accountable, right? Look, if I tell you the coffee cup is six inches from the edge of the table with the handle at four o'clock, and you show me and say it and do it, which is another part of it, is actually know that someone knows the skills, just didn't follow somebody in a restaurant, and they go, I'm placing the coffee cup six inches from the edge of the table with the handle at four o'clock. Well, you know they can do it, now you can hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. The other is won't do it. Mm. Someone who won't do something, doesn't belong on your team, period. And they don't belong on your team because they have a different set of values than your culture and what your expectation is. And by allowing them to stay on your team, you are eroding the culture and allowing other people that perform harder to realize, why do I do it? You know, my favorite story at restaurant opens is the first day that anybody gets a job, they'll do whatever anybody asks them. We all remember our first day of a job, we'll do it. If the owner said at three o'clock every day we drink coffee standing on our heads and at three o'clock everybody got there stood on her head you'd probably go you know what I like coffee I'm not sure how it's not going to come out of my nose but I guess I'll, I'll try figuring out how to do this on the second day if you don't do it then on the third day I'm probably not doing yeah it. The, the standard is set by the the lowest common denominator if that person's not doing it then why should I do it and right. that's that's your reality what is happening right now, that is your standard, not what you wrote, not what you said. It's what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. So what ends up happening is a conversation, we'll use the coffee cup again. The coffee cup's next to the fork. And, you know, you, you see it during service and you pull the server aside at the end of service and you say, can you tell me what the standard is for coffee? Is it that you can't do it or you won't do it? If you can't do it, do I need to take you off the floor? Do we need to retrain you? Do you need to follow somebody? Should you lose your revenue for that day and show me that you can do it? Well, the person's going to go, well, no, no, Raj. I, I totally get it. I know what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what you're supposed to do. I'm supposed to put it to the right of the knife four, six inches from the edge of the table with the handle at 4 o'clock. Okay, can you tell me why you didn't do it? I was in a hurry. I really wasn't thinking. Do you understand why it's important? And you help them with their culture. You don't beat them up. You don't do any of that other. You just find out what it Constant is. Constant gentle pressure. Right. right. If they sit there and they, you know, the next time you talk to them, the conversation is really simple. The, if the cup's not in the right spot again, you look at them and go, can or won't? You know, won't do it. You explain to them, it's like, you got a different set of values. I appreciate it. And the fact that you're, you know, like I'll see somebody says, well, I can't get my chef. This was just two weeks ago. I can't get my chef to control these factors in the kitchen. And I said, have a can't do, won't do conversation with them. And the won't do part is if they won't do it, then you know what? I'm really glad you're willing to give up a great job at a high profile restaurant and that you don't need that money. I wish I was that independent, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, but people don't do that. 
They think, well, I'm not going to bother them about that. I'm nagging them. No, the standard is a standard. If you seek perfection and accept excellence, everybody will understand it. And if everybody understands that their business is to execute so that they're successful, then the restaurant will be successful. And what happens is when you eliminate all that extra gray, everybody's happy because everybody's doing the same thing. Yes. Roger, I've loved this conversation. Uh, I try to wrap up this free-flowing portion of the conversation. I, I'm going to start trying to be better about this by asking my guests. Uh, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So I want to ask you, how have you transformed over these 40 years? Who are you today versus who you were then? Oh, I'm, I'm radically different. Uh, I was, uh, I've gone through all the emotions of a chef, uh, arrogance, uh, ego, I still have one. Uh, everybody does. But uh, I've really learned that um, at the end of the day, it's people, passion for people. Um, at, when you get your two-minute warning, nobody's going to go, man, do you remember the Brondot I served? No. You're going to think about family, friends. Did you help somebody? And hopefully you're not going to think, I should have done, I should have, would have, could have. That would be the worst part of it. And so – my feeling about this is that the restaurant industry is the greatest industry you could possibly be in. There's no glass ceiling. We don't care if you're purple. We don't care if you have antennas. We don't care if, if you're married to a chair. Just be, if you can do your job, we love it. Love and, it. And, and to me, uh, that really what I've learned at the end of the day is relationships. Yes. It really comes down to relationships. I've loved this conversation, Roger. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be back to bust out a quick speed round. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel, and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing, that you love the most about Rebel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integration training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in breed client experience team they'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs and if you use my links you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract 
Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. Or find the banner in the show notes. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Relentless pursuit of excellence and ensuring that I'm successful. What is your biggest weakness? Relentless pursuit of excellence. <laughs> uh, my biggest is, actually, my biggest is that I assimilate information quickly. Uh, I see the solution and sometimes don't allow people to participate to the level to where they get to that understanding. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're, uh, well, we kind of cover this in depth, uh, building your team or doing an interview? Can do, will do, fit in, (laughs) willing to improve. What is your biggest challenge today? Uh, Getting people to understand that while restaurants can be very successful, the next five years is going to be the the biggest trial they'll ever come into. And thinking because you were successful in the past is going to carry you through may not work this time. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team over the years. Take responsibility for yourself. Live for execution. Remember you are measured by what you achieve, not what your intent was. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Hmm. Um, Every person that walks into your establishment needs to walk out just a little bit happier. What is one book that will make us a better person or a restaurant owner? The title of the book is called Execution. Who's the, do you know the author? I could pull it off my bookshelf, but no, but it's called Execution. And it really talks about how to, the culture of teams that basically everybody understands what they're supposed to do. And more importantly, has one of the best review systems I've ever seen because Really, when you think about reviewing an employee or a team member, you're trying to see how do you get them to the next level or the highest level they can possibly get to, and that's what it reviews. When will you be ready to your next promotion, and what programs of education and development can we together participate in to help you achieve it? I love it. And what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? They don't invest in education and development. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that has had a huge influence on operations? You already mentioned earlier, I made a note, the data inventory technology. Uh, Do you have any recommendations there? Any companies that are really doing a good job with that front? Yeah, you know, I've had to review a lot of the different systems out there and they change constantly. Oh my gosh. They evolve so fast that I, you know, the last big project I did was two years ago. I will tell you the best one out there is Star Chefs. Um, It's a company out of England. Um, it's designed to work from the unit level back to accounting. Most of these systems are designed for the accountant CPA because that's who they think they're selling it to. Well, that doesn't help a restaurateur when I've got to shrink a restaurant, grow a restaurant, and the software doesn't do that for them, or I can't anticipate uh, purchasing business flow, all this other stuff. So it really needs to be user-friendly from the person that uses it. One of the biggest mistakes that most restaurant companies do is the person at the top has people wasting six to eight hours a week on generating a report that only that person will see. Mm. It's the biggest waste of time and every major corporation does it. So why is that 
because that one person will see it, is it because you should be sharing this technology with or this this information with because you've your taken team? that person six to eight hours away from serving okay. a guest and generating income. You know, at the end of the day, just so a leader can have everything on one sheet like a play card, like Bill Belichick, isn't worth it to the company for how much time and labor if you multiply it across a system of 600 restaurants. I hear you. And that's how you see restaurateurs living in an office on a Monday for five or six hours when they should really be planning their week on how they're going to generate 10 more meals, 12 more guests. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the people that bat, bat 300. You yeah, know, it's really only one more hit or two more hits. So this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Three things you know to be true. Embrace your family. Embrace your friends. And be successful. Embrace your family, embrace your friends, and be successful. I have loved this conversation, Roger. Uh, we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show? Well, I will tell you, if you can get him, it would be great. But the one chef celebrity that I admire is Rick Bayless. Rick Bayless. Oh, and the man, reason great day. for Rick Bayless is no matter what restaurant his you go to, it can be one in an airport that's not run by him because airports, they don't, you know, he might just be overseeing it uh, in the bottom of a grocery store at Zoko. Uh, whatever restaurant you're in, you will always have a great meal and the food will always be outstanding. And that's where most celebrity chefs lose it. They cannot replicate their unbelievable talents. He does it every single time. Rick Bayless, look out. I'm coming after you. That is not the first, and I'm sure it won't be the last time he's been suggested on the show. And uh, let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you if we have any questions from today's conversation? If we want to hire you for your services, uh, what's the best way to connect? Well, the best way, uh, and most simple, this is very old school. You can call me, but uh, uh, and or you can go visit my website, which is very old school. Uh, you can visit me at Instagram at RK Innovation. Uh, and see the food that I make my wife since most of my work can't be seen until somebody actually puts it out. Uh, but uh, follow me, RK Innovation. I'm, I'm available. And uh, if you want your business to be successful, just in closing, the mission of my company, we talked about mission a little bit. I ensure my client is successful, and anybody on that path that I encounter, I ensure they're successful so my client is successful beautiful uh, i've loved this conversation if you guys want to look at a summary of today's conversation a link to any tools services or books that are recommended how to connect with roger just head over to the show notes i've been recording 20 episodes in the next two weeks so i'm not sure what episode number this is going to be but just stay uh, stick around for the the closing thoughts and i'll share the episode number with you and again roger kaplan thank you so much for taking the time to share your story your knowledge your mentorship we are all better because of it there is no questioning you are unstoppable Thank you so much. You know, uh, what you're doing for the industry and for people listening in is amazing. If you are not listening to his podcast, you are totally missing out. I'm, that means a lot. Thank you, Roger. Cheers. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Roger Kaplan, a great conversation today. I think the big takeaway in today's conversation is that you can learn from anybody you come into contact with uh you have to be open-minded you can't look at your employees as just heart rates in your business they they have opinions they have 
minds. They use those minds, tap into those minds, tap into their creativity, and maybe tap into their, their skill sets. You never know when you're going to come across somebody who's got a specialized area of knowledge, a special ability, and you do not want to deprive yourself from those opportunities. So take advantage of the people you're surrounding yourself with. The other big takeaways from today's conversation, uh, become a person of value. Be an expert at what it is that you do, whether that's baking, whether that's, I don't know, like whatever vertical you can think of, be the best at it. When you are the best at one thing, when you focus on becoming one thing and you're, and you're just consumed by that one thing, you will become a person of value uh, and you will attract onto yourself the people that can make your vision come true. And on that note of vision, have a focused vision. Know what you do. Don't go outside of that sphere. You cannot be everything to everybody. So figure it out and be the best at what you do. And that's it. Great stuff today. Like always, guys, let me remind you, please reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I'm also on Spotify now, Google Play. You can find me. I'm out there. Uh, Let the folks know what you think of Restaurant Unstoppable. And please sign up for my email list. That's how you stay plugged into what's going on behind the scenes here at Restaurant Unstoppable, where I'm at. Uh, what cities I'm going to, what projects we're working on. And you can also interact with me and and give me your feedback on the direction we're taking Restaurant Unstoppable. I, I want you guys to have an influence on where we take this thing. So take advantage of that. And then lastly, please help me spread the word about Restaurant Unstoppable by sharing the sucker with everybody and anybody you know aspiring to be great in the industry. Uh, cannot do it without your support. And thank you in advance if you have been sharing. All right, that's it for today. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.